You are listening to Deeper Roots, a podcast to help equip the members of New Branch Community Church to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. For more information, visit newbranch.com. Hey, we are back one week later from our last episode. No, we're not. I know. We just hit stop and then immediately hit record again. But for everybody else, it's one week later. Uh, hope, again, y'all's, hope y'all's week has been good. Yeah. Um, again, Matt, he just always skips. He skipped this one too. <laughs> um, but uh, we kind of teased people with uh, why we, we last week we talked about millennial views. This week we're going to tell them kind of why we land there, offer a little bit of evaluation on views. And um, yeah, there we well, go. I'm glad so, we saved this for this episode because I had a whole week to study more. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I, I think that one of the things I would say on the, because we talked a lot about figurative and literal, and we've made this point before, uh, historically, uh, when you approach something and say that, uh, you're interpreting the Bible figuratively on something, or you're interpreting it literally, uh, a lot of people would hear like a conservative interpretation versus a more liberal interpretation. Mm -hmm. And that's not what's meant when we're talking about, uh, figurative or literal when it comes to this not Um, at all and even when i say historically i mean like even when i was in bible college and there were people that were like if you're not you're not literal on the book of revelation then you're liberal yeah as if it was some kind of litmus test of 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 faithful of inerrancy yeah and but but what um what I would say is that you have to interpret the Bible according to the genre of literature that you're dealing with. What? The genre? 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 You genre. Genre. Did you say genre? Sorry. Like John? I went, I went to Bible school. I didn't go to <laughs> I didn't go to esteemed humanity school like Georgia Tech. Oh. <laughs> so, genre. There you go. Genre. Now you um, have to interpret it according to the some, type of book that it is. Yeah. So, so, so if you're if you find yourself interpreting the book of Genesis um, figuratively, then you're you're dangerously close to falling into some liberal theology, right? Allegorical and and so forth. Um, and so you, uh, the gospels. You know, if you're looking at the life and teaching and ministry of Jesus. Um, if if those are figurative or metaphorical, then then that might be a concern. Absolutely. Or Paul's letters, for example. Absolutely. But when you're talking about apocalyptic literature, yeah, of which there's really nothing in our current genre to compare it to. But it's just it, it the so whole I, purpose of it is figurative. I get that impulse when we start saying, "Well, the looks like it says that," but what you what it really means is. Blank. I get that impulse. It's like, whoa, are you changing the word of God? And that's yeah. not okay. But like, if you think of a, a passage like uh, the Bible referencing that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? It doesn't mean that He has like one thousand hills where He owns cows. Yeah. And then, like, when you get to one thousand one, it's like, now that's somebody else's property. Well, it means I mean, that He has a tremendous amount of resources. So that's figurative language to communicate. Yeah, and, and think about what this is. What's happening to John? Yeah. He's in the middle of a vision. Yes. Right? He's 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 taken up to heaven, and, and Jesus is showing him through a vision, or some kind of dreamlike stance, uh, trance that he is in. Trance? Stance? 
I don't know. You're the chance, word guy. Whatever. You're the word guy. <laughs> genre. Genre. Uh, but, um, you know, we, we see that in the Old Testament too, right? Yeah. Think of Joseph's dreams. Yes. Um, you know, he, he, he dreamed about his brothers being, you know, reeds um, yes. that, would, that would bow down to him. Yes. I mean, does, does he already interpret that literally? Like right. that, like that in later in Joseph's life, there will, there will be some reeds that, that bow down to him. No, yeah. obviously it meant something else. Right. Um, and so we have to consider the genre, the genre. Of well, and, and, literature. I would, and I would go further to say, like, if you're, and I know I'm arguing for my own position at this point, but I'm just saying, this is not, this is not a, a, a place for a conservative liberal breakdown. This is not what we're talking about here. Uh, exactly. So all, so all of these, like we said in the last one, all of these like are within the bounds of orthodoxy on that and fit within uh, inerrancy. Yeah. Uh, the if I would say in arguing for a figurative interpretation uh, through much of Revelation that you're being true to the intent of the book, and so that's what we want is we want to interpret it on the terms that it gives us. Yep. So in the genre yes and just like much of apocalyptic literature i think should be interpreted figuratively so there's the thing about uh literal versus figurative which plays into strengths and weaknesses of views uh on the last episode if you weren't here then ken identified himself as an amillennial and i agreed um excuse me oh sorry uh sorry um rewind Historic, uh, historic premillennial. That's what I meant to say. Uh, Ken identified himself as a historic premillennial. Cautiously, I, cautiously, uh, I identified myself, though rather, uh, rather. Uh, I don't you're know. Not, you're not cautious. I'm not millennial. I would, I would be right. Like number two of you is right where you are, and I would be like uh, 70, 30, <laughs> 80, 20. That's Something more, like that's, that. That's, so, that's more than me. But it's definitely the, uh, and, and I'm, I'm joking on that. Uh, it's definitely um, the two views that I see more plausible are the uh, millennial view, the view I hold, and then the historic premillennial view. So um, let's start with going through the same order that we did last time. Maybe we could just do some strengths and weaknesses. And we're speaking as just ourselves. Yeah. So, um, we're not speaking like for the church, for the elders or whatever. We're just speaking. As absolutely. This. No, this is totally my we disagreement on the, on what, what many yeah. people on that. So. And I'm only halfway through. Yeah. You might change. I mean, I still might change. Yeah. Um, so I hold to historic premillennialists because, um, I believe the Bible. No, um, <laughs> I do see, as I've mentioned before, I do see a progression. Um, I see a progression from one to the other. Um, I see in the description of the tribulation, the judgments, um, I do see some perhaps partial fulfillment in first century history. I do see some fulfillment partially in uh, the church age in which we're currently in. Um, but, um, I, I see it, I see it progressing and getting worse through the book. Um, and I liken it to what Jesus said in the, in the Olivet discourse, 
that there will be a time of tribulation such as not been seen from the beginning of time. I don't think we've experienced that yet. I think that's still to come. I think there is suffering and persecution that the church and the unbelieving world will endure one day that's unlike anything that we've seen. And I do. Yeah. I, I see that um, described, uh, although, although not in a literal way, uh, figuratively, I walk away from those descriptions of those judgments um, in awe and heaviness that that's going to be a really tough time and that stuff hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Um, and so, um, and so, yeah, I see that as, as, as future, um, uh, the, the pre millennial part of that. I was going to say like, so far I agree with everything you just said. Okay. So, um, the millennial part of that is, you know, out of chapter 20. Yeah. So, um, chapter 20 talks about the thousand years. Um, it is interesting that that's the only place where the thousand year reign of Christ is mentioned, but it's not as though it's mentioned in passing. It's mentioned five times. Um, so it's very, it's very clear that it's something. Um, and so we have to come to a grips with what that actually is. Um, while we've talked about there is some level of cyclical return in some of these stories, I do see a progression from chapter 19 to chapter 20. I see in chapter 20, there's a return of Christ, this glorious return. That's, that's what we're waiting for, right? All of us are, are waiting on the perusia of the Lord, the great return of Jesus. Um, and then there is a, a great war and, um, and then chapter 20 follows right after that uh, with the the thousand-year reign of Christ. Um, so when you say you see a progression, you mean that you think 20 is a, not starting a new section. It's correct. Con- continuing on from 19. Yes. I see, I see chronological progression from chapter 19, return of Christ, chapter 20, and everything that happens in chapter 20. Yeah. Which is the return of Christ. Um Satan is bound. Um, we're told that he's he's bound for a thousand years in the abyss, locked and sealed, so that he doesn't have any sway on the nations, any influence on the nations. Um, there's the resurrection. There's a resurrection of of believers who have died in Christ, um, and they come to life. And we're told that they come to life and they reign with Christ for a thousand years. Um, after the thousand years are ended, uh, there's another resurrection. And then Satan is released. He's released one final time to have um, more influence on the world, more destruction on the church. And then he's finally destroyed later in chapter 20. And then we have the eternal state, chapters 21 and 22, the new heaven, new earth ushered in, all of that. So, yeah, so I, I, see, the, I see the chronological progression there yeah. that makes sense to me. Yeah. So, like I, uh, like I said before, I, I agree with everything about what you were saying um, up until I was like, what are you, are you describing amillennialism right now? And mm. then you get to, and I think that that's the, and we, you and I have talked about this before. Like, I think the difference between um, my view and your view comes down to just t- chapter 20. And really yeah. that's, 
that's much of the difference. I mean, it, it the implications of chapter 20, specifically the implications of chapter 21 through 6, uh, have other interpretive implications about whether you're seeing other things he's saying is happening now or things are right. for the future. But um, the real interpretive difference is, is the 21 through 6. And where I would, I think I would see a start of a new section when he says, then I saw, just like he says, then I saw many other times. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's starting a new a new vision, a new thought or whatever. And I would not necessarily um, see that as immediately flowing from, obviously in the book, it immediately flows from 19, but I wouldn't see that as immediately staying uh, on that. But I agree with you that it, the it seems to build, there's a progression that seems to build um, mm-hmm. that uh, throughout the book. And I do think that there's multiple laps that are going on. That's what I'm talking about, recapitulation. Um, so, 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 and, 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 and you, I, start, you can start asking me questions. You can start <laughs> finding the end of my knowledge real quick. But go ahead. Where's Matt? No, finish it. Finish your thought. Finish your thought. No, no, that's all I was going to say. I just want to cut you off to say, yeah, start kneeling me with questions. It's the, and uh, you're going to find no, the end just of my to knowledge. comment. I, I, th- I think it is a good argument that the then I saw mm-hmm. at the beginning of chapter 20 could possibly be indication that it's restarting. If, cause just because as far as not to like make my argument, yeah, yeah. but, but because you see that repeatedly absolutely. and I saw and, it's, and it's not and the then isn't necessarily uh, like a time bound word. It's a, then I saw, so, so now I'm seeing a different vision or something like that. Yeah. Which is, which is what makes revelation so difficult because yeah. there's these visions that are happening <laughs> that aren't necessarily chronological. Right. And so for that reason, I think that would be a good argument. The yeah. reason why I can't wrap my head around the um, chapter 20, 20 starting over again mm-hmm. is because of the content of chapter 20 right. and what, what chapter 20 includes. So um, like we mentioned, it says that um, he sees the dragon. So an angel comes down from heaven. I'll just read it. Chapter 20, verse one. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand, the key to the bottomless pit. That's the abyss uh, where we've seen things coming out of already and a great chain. And he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan. So we're talking about him in chapter 12 right now, currently in church. But here in 20, he seizes the dragon, the ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan and he bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. So um, what I have a hard time wrapping my mind around with the amillennialist view is and that, what, and that, what that, that means that Satan is bound right, right yeah. now. Sure. And that he's, and not just bound, because I think he is, in in a sense, he's bound because he was defeated at Calvary. Yeah. Right? He was, he was defeated at Calvary and his, his power was broken. Um, but we know that he still is active. Yeah. yeah. Right? We, we know that he has, and, and the way this is described, um, Again, I'm not necessarily saying this is a literal understanding, yeah. but the way it's described is that he's thrown into the abyss, it's shut, and it's sealed over him, and he's bound. 
And then we're described what that means so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. Yeah. So I would say that Satan is deceiving the nations today. Currently, he is in the process of deceiving the nations. And so if he's currently in the abyss, bound, whatever that means, locked, sealed away and all of that, so that he wouldn't deceive the nations, I, I can't wrap my mind around that being the present state. Sure. Because I see him so active today. And I see that he is, um, you know, influencing the nations yeah, and, and such. I, and that's that's a common critique of all, all millennials, and not one I'm prepared to answer because I told you you'd find the end of my knowledge. <laughs> and somewhere, fellow all millennials in our church are like, "Why do we put Tyler forward as our guy?" Um, but uh, no, I think that that the all millennial would understand that as um, the the sense in which he's bound is that he that the the great commission the gospel can go forward uh it can advance um and there that they would understand 20 uh that that section that we just read 21 through 3 as saying that he is no longer able to like in a final sense deceive the nations that the gospel can right move forward that's exactly that's, what, that's exactly what they would say and that's i think that's and a I, perfectly and I good your point and and again like well, i would implore anyone listening and whatever uh to when you're trying to figure out like what you believe about these matters, man, you got to spend time in the, you got to spend time in the text and, and you have to proceed, uh, proceed humbly. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with this, this Sunday's text because we're currently in that chapter in chapter, uh, that part in chapter 12 where Satan is thrown down. Yeah. Right. And, and it's very fantastic language. So there's a, there's a war in heaven. Michael and his angels and Satan and his angels. And we're told that the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. Same, almost the same phrase that we find in chapter 20. Yeah. Um, The deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Um, And so I I think the amillennialists will say chapter 20 is, telling the same story that chapter 12 did. It's kind of recapitulating. It's kind of going back and saying that over again. And some would even say that 21 through three and 24 through six are telling the same story. Like that those are parallel passages. One talking about what's happening on earth and another what's talking, talking four through six, talking about what's happening at the same time in heaven. 21, 20, I'm sorry, chapter 20, one through three. Okay. Is what we just read. Right. Is what's happening on earth. And then chapter 24 through six is what's happening in heaven. Yeah. In the same yeah. time. Yeah. There does, there does seem to be a delineation in, in the amillennial view that takes into consideration the spiritual yeah. um, reality of, of these visions as opposed to a physical, yeah. like real world reality right. to this. Um, and, and that certainly, that certainly helps to, to come to grips with some of it. Um, I, I would I would see what's being described in chapter twelve and in chapter twenty as two distinct events. Mm-hmm. Um, that chapter twelve is uh, I think there's a dual fulfillment. I think I think there was the casting down of Satan in a primordial sense before you know before creation, right? Um, but there was also the defeat of Satan at yeah. Calvary, um, and and I think in in kind of a a prophetic way it's pointing forward to his ultimate defeat yeah so 
Well, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you yeah, off. Yeah, but but chapter 20 is describing that ultimate. Like the final. Yeah. Thing. So uh, historic premillennial, you believe Christ is reigning now. Mm-hmm. You believe that? Yep. Yeah. So that's the, I mean, and that's the, that's my thing on uh, the millennial is that he is presently reigning. And so people say, well, you think this is the millennium? Like, I think that Christ is, that we are, yes, in the millennium and we are experiencing um, much of what's talked about in the tribulations and whatever, but that, that that's describing the church age where Christ is reigning now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was trying to draw a point that you, even as a historic premillennial that thinks that there's a future millennial reign, you believe that Jesus is reigning now. In Absolutely. In a spiritual sense, in a heavenly yeah. sense, um, he's reigning. But um, again, it get, like you said, it gets back to chapter 20. What do we do with chapter 20? Yeah. And if I see that as chronological, mm-hmm. I see that as following on after the return of Christ, the content describing something that's unique, Yeah. Um, meaning that that heavenly reign now comes to earth. Yeah. Um, and and the binding of Satan and the release of Satan later right. in chapter twenty is is important to grasp in the context of uh, of what's happening there, and that's a delineation as well. Yeah, uh, that we that we talked about. Yeah. Um, so, what is it that uh, what what is it that keeps you from the post millennial view? So um, I would say that there's a lot of similarity between the post-millennial view and the amillennial view. Yeah. I mean, some people would consider amillennial a form of post-millennial because they, Jesus comes back yeah. after the millennium. Right. Um, but the hallmark, the hallmark of post-millennialism is... Like their understanding of the millennium would very, be very similar to what what your understanding right. is. Um, some of them might not necessarily talk about the millennium as uh, so much as a spiritual heavenly kingdom. Right. They might talk more about the fact that yes, he's reigning here. Yeah. Um, but still, the very similar understanding, figurative uh, on the millennium and all that. But that there's there's this advancing yeah, and um, a, a lot of the, like, like we talked when I was talking about this progression of the tribulation and that the suffering of the church is going to get worse and worse and worse. Yeah. We agreed on that. We did. The post-millennial will That's not. That's what I was going to say is as when I was first exposed to the post-millennial view, my response to that was, I hope this is right. Like, I hope you're right, but Extremely I just. Extremely optimistic. I, I, I hope you're right, but I don't, I just can't see that. Like I, I, I see. I see too many things in the New Testament that that seemed like there's going to be um, more significant uh, persecution, tribulation, etc., uh, throughout the whole church age. I don't see this um, this argument that. And again, they would say like it might it might take ten thousand years, it might take fifty thousand years, or something. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be it's things are getting better. Um, or the 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 gospel is going to continue to expand. I just can't see. The, I don't see the same uh, up and to the right type of deal um, yeah. in, in in my reading of not just the New Testament. And I think uh, one of the I think post millennial, at least the author I read on it, would say that like he's post millennial before he even gets to the Book of Revelation. Like yes, yeah. that it comes from so many other places. So yeah. Um, what 
keeps you from being dispensational? I don't see a distinction between Israel and the church. Yeah, that's but to me. That's the main thing. I, I, I think um, you're 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 by dispensational. Dispensationalism is more than an end time view. It's a it's a broader biblical theology. Like it's a broader yes. way of, of fitting of how you see the Old Testament and the New Testament fitting together and the Old Covenant and the New Covenant fitting together. Exactly. Promises were made to Israel by God yeah. in covenants with God yeah. to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, and they haven't happened yet. Yeah. And it, so um, dispensational um, view holds that those promises will be fulfilled in a literal way with the nation of Israel. So the temple is going to be rebuilt. Sacrifice is going to be reestablished, yeah. all that stuff. And so they got really excited. And like everything. They got really excited in like 1948. Israel's reestablished. I forget yep. the year, right? Reestablished as a country. They're like, this is, this is what's going to happen. Absolutely. Um, and, and, so and when I, they, and when they look at the millennium, it's not just a thousand year reign of Christ on earth. It is a thousand year reign on, of Christ from Jerusalem. Yeah. From the nation of Israel. So that's why Israel is so important to that uh, right. perspective uh, because it holds such a critical role in the end times. Um, and I just don't, I don't see that. Um, I, I, um, I'm with you. I don't see the, I don't see, I, th I see uh, the church as the fulfillment of Israel. Uh, you call, they call it, you said before people call that replacement theology. I would call it fulfillment theology. I would uh, call it Pauline theology. <laughs> yes, uh, but, uh, arguably, I think, I think the apostle Paul is clear in Romans and Galatians and so forth that, I, um, you know, he can, he can cause a, a child of Abraham to come from this rock. Yeah. Right. And so, um, we, we are children of Abraham by faith, not by birth, not by ethnicity. And I, I joked about this last time that this a historic premillennialism because it it's in in my understanding and please let's have a conversation for anyone that it, this is a, actually a fairly recent view in the, as far as the the thousands of years of church history this is a, a view that's not maybe 150 years old or something like that yeah for the most part I'd say about 150 years old where um, I think you can see um, I think you can see other views throughout a long course of, of church history. Yeah. Uh, we, you mentioned many fathers, church fathers, uh, with the historic pre-mill view. Uh, I think they would say that, I think they think, uh, Augustine was probably something close to all mill. And then maybe, maybe a little bit of a change, something like along that. But I just don't see that. Not, not just the, um, when it comes to revelation, uh, but when it comes to the whole biblical theology of how do you put the Bible together, I, it's a, I think it's a theological novelty. I'm not trying, like it's a new in, invention in church history. And I, and I don't mean that, but that's not to me in, in general, and maybe I'm speaking too much uh, in general that you, I, it, the, the faith once and for all passed down to the saints, you should have like a long history of a theological view. Yeah. So, yeah, there, there, so there are some. The, the dispensationalist, because I just said probably too much. Yeah, uh, I, I would say if we had some dispensational folks in here, um, some of them would be able to give us some 
some, some examples some like, yeah and they would of, probably see of, like the seeds of holding of that. that yeah 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 the se- the seeds of dispensational theology going back a lot further than 150 years but as a system of theology yeah um and and its uh, subsequent hermeneutical approach to scripture um I would say within the last couple hundred years, it's it's uh, that's when it's come to light. Yeah, um, and then when it comes to revelation, we've already talked about figurative and literal. And I just really think that for me personally, I th- I just really think that uh, treating revelation literally is not treating it according to the genre. I would say genre. except except when you have to. And, and yeah, yeah. that's to me, that's the difference. Um, and that's the gray area. Yeah. Um, uh, again, you know, when I, when I've been taught <clears throat> eschatology in years past, the mantra was always interpret it literally, unless you have to interpret it figuratively. And to me, my understanding <clears throat> now of revelation, at least is, that's flipped on its end right is to interpret it figuratively according to the genre unless you have to unless unless you're not allowed to uh and then you interpret it literally and that really picks up after the seven letters because that would interpret the seven letters pretty literally yeah 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 absolutely yeah all right. Well, I'd like to make public apology to any dispensationalist I've offended, and you're invited over to a uh, reconciliation dinner, some lunch at my house. Any dispensationalist I just offended? I will. I will say this: in terms of charts and graphs being drawn of the end times, they have the best charts. Yes, but amillennialists have the cleanest chart. It's like now. <laughs> Jesus returns and then the end. It's like it's like you don't even need a chart for that. It's like that's no, great. There's just two ages. There's the church age and then the age to come. Yeah. And um, I, I I mean I saw this chart on post millennial, but that's basically just up and to the right. It's just yeah, that's, what, that's right. Gospel spread and the historic pre mills chart is, you know, church age, return of Christ, millennial reign, final state. The Dispensational premillennial chart is uh, just too too confusing for me. Uh, there's arrows and graphs <laughs> and all kinds of stuff. So they they definitely win it's the day a- with regard to charts. Yes. Um, yeah. So that's where we are. Again, I close with saying all of these are orthodox views. This is not something worth dividing over, even in the local church. Uh, this is something for. Most of these, this is something I'm willing to have a conversation about because it's like, uh, because it's in the Bible. That's the thing I would keep pointing people to through the whole Revelation series is Revelation is part of inspired scripture. Um, And I do think God is trying to reveal something in Revelation. Not that he just like is hiding stuff from us and just wants us, what's, we, we can't understand what's going on or something mm-hmm. like that. But at the end of the day, like I'm fine to have conversations about this, but this is not one of those things where I'd be like, you're wrong and you need to like repent of your view or something like that. That's, this is so tertiary. That Re- I, regardless I that. of the view, we all agree Jesus returns. Yes. Um, he protects his church. He protects his church. And sin and Satan and evil are are 
rightly dealt with and banished forever. The church is victorious in the end. I because mean, that's of what Jesus. we should celebrate. Yeah, absolutely. And that is good. And how it all works out um, and where we see it in different parts of Scripture, you know, we'll, we'll continue to argue about until Jesus does return. Um, but let's do so with love and grace. Absolutely. Love and grace. And again, you're invited to lunch. Sorry, <laughs> sorry guys. That's the end. 